If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. Pirate's Desire by Andrea Stewart. Chapter 1. 1715, London. Lord Norfolk studied his prey from a safe distance, considering how best to initiate his next attack. On this, her first appearance at a ball in high society, Lady Corwin Chase wore an indigo blue gown over a white silk underdress that showed her figure to fine advantage. While the generous padding over her hips hid her legs from his prying eyes, they did nothing to disguise the elegant curve of her back, the glorious lift of her perfect breasts, or the slender neck he could still remember caressing. Her glorious blue-black hair was piled atop her head and studded with an ocean of tiny pearls. Her eyes sparkled like emeralds when she laughed. As Corwin leaned forward to whisper something in her companion's ear, Norfolk felt a moment of pure rage. Whereas the chit would chatter like a magpie for hours to Lord Warwick, she had nothing for Norfolk but insults. In fact she treated him like a pariah, a veritable leper, whenever and wherever they met. And what was his sin? He had stolen a kiss on the night they had met. Just a month ago Norfolk had agreed to escort Lady Christina Wakefield's newly arrived country cousin to the theatre. As one of London's wealthiest bachelors, if something of rake hell. His appearance with the girl assured her acceptance into the highest social circles of the ton. Norfolk had been quite charmed by Corwin's quick wit, warm smiles, and innocent banter. It was novel to meet a girl who seemed completely unaware that she was beautiful. And she had seemed honestly amused by his wry commentary on the play, the actors, and the wealthy peers in the boxes around them. She had seemed to genuinely like him. So during the intermission he had led her from the high box seats down to the velvet muffled stage promising her a glimpse behind the scenes. Once there, lost in the long drapes, he had yielded to temptation and given her the kiss she so richly deserved. He could still feel those tender lips beneath his, that fragile coltish body pressed against him. She had struggled charmingly, had tried to push him away, and he'd found that more charming still. When he had finally let her go, he had been entirely surprised by the force of the slap she had delivered to his face. He had been both stunned and amused by the stiff dressing down she had given him a moment later. He had been far less amused when she had walked away without his escort. After the interval, when he had returned to the box they had shared, he found himself sitting alone. The usher had reluctantly informed him that Lady Chase and Lady Wakefield had abandoned the play due to a sudden headache that had overtaken the younger girl. She had demanded to be taken home right away. Left in the box alone, the object of conjecture and ridicule. Norfolk had been hard-pressed to forgive her. In all his days, he had never been castigated so boldly. Willing to let bygones be bygones, Norfolk had called the next day to inquire after Corwin's health. She had refused to come down, 
allowing her cousin Lady Wakefield to make her ridiculous excuses. She subsequently declined all his invitations and returned all the little gifts he sent in his ongoing attempt to make amends. So it was with some surprise that he discovered that Chit was happily accepting invitations from others across the city. She and her cousin were out and about almost every evening. In this way she made it clear that she wanted nothing to do with him. In response, he let it be known widely that he fancied the girl. As expected, this brought him an invitation to every single event she attended. After all, he had grown up in the ton, had been born into a role that offered him much wealth and unmatched privilege. What he desired he would have. For the last fortnight, Norfolk and Corwin had spent most evenings playing an increasingly vicious game of cat and mouse. He glued himself to her side, involved himself in her every conversation, teased her with increasingly suggestive innuendo, and made it clear in every possible way that he must be accommodated because he could not be avoided or ignored. And while humiliating the girl had proven entertaining, it had somehow stoked his desire for her as well. She needed to be taught a lesson and he was just the man to instruct her. So tonight he had made elaborate arrangements that would give him several hours alone. By tomorrow the girl would know her master and understand her place in his bed. Corwin worked very hard to appear interested in the earnest young man who sat beside her. The sights and sounds of the ball around them made hearing him all but impossible, but she rather believed that was for the best. While Lord Warwick might be an excellent dancer, he was also an avid fox hunter, and Corwin found nothing more disgusting than full-grown men and a pack of dogs harrying a terrified animal to death. It might be a pastime for kings but it was also an occupation for monsters. A lull in the conversation presented itself and she sought for a safer topic to discuss. There was a new exhibition of Greek statues in a nearby gallery that she had been fortunate enough to see. Surely that was something anyone could discuss comfortably. As she opened her mouth, she heard someone else speak. Good eve Lord Warwick. I am surprised to find you out and about with your new crops not yet sold. Since fortune finds you well, you can afford to pay that rather large note you made when last we waited. Five thousand pounds, was it not? Or perhaps it was nine. Lord Norfolk tapped his walking stick against Warwick's leg. Deliver it to my house in the morning if you don't mind. And now be a good man and let me have your seat. I have matters of great moment to discuss with our young lady Chase. Corwin closed her eyes and prayed for a miracle as Warwick rose. Lord Norfolk, entirely unaffected by her wishful thinking, folded himself into the seat on the padded bench beside her. Warwick, face blanched white, walked away as if he had just been struck. He did not spare Corwin a backward glance. Corwin looked up at Norfolk mutinously. She found his suit of gold and silver brocade, his matching shoes and tiny hat, so ridiculous they verged on obscene. He glittered like he was made of diamonds. His elaborately curled and powdered hair, flowed like a white river to the middle of his back. His eyes, as they explored the shape of her mouth and the swell of her breasts, were the cold pale blue of a midwinter day. He was a tall man, slender but not effeminate, and she knew the four-foot ivory walking stick he carried hid a long sharp blade. She had no idea why this brightly colored long-fanged snake had taken it into his head to harass her, nor why he was permitted, simply by virtue of his class and wealth, to mistreat her this way. Such a thing seemed impossible in this modern age. My dear, I was quite distressed when you returned this morning's little gift. It was such a tiny token of my ongoing appreciation for your great kindness and frequent indulgence over the past many days. He lay a smooth hand upon her lap refusing to remove it when she tried to brush it away. 
He was stronger than her and unless she wished to make a scene she must allow him to leave his hand where he willed. You really must accept these little presents or you sell yourself too cheap. Said Norfolk as if he were confiding something of great import to her. I do not sell myself at all, my lord. Said Corwin. Then are you simply giving yourself away? Lord Norfolk asked as if startled by the idea. Someone close by laughed and Corwin felt the blood rush to her face. Norfolk dismissed the discussion with a wave of his hand and a knowing look up at those who were openly listening to their conversation. He continued. I am very much looking forward to this evening's supper my dear. Your cousin and a few select friends will make such delightful company for us. Corwin shook her head. There must be a mistake, I am sure Lady Wakefield and I have no such engagement. You are quite mistaken. I have just spoken with her. It is all arranged. No, my lord. It is quite impossible. Christina would never have agreed to such an engagement without speaking to me. You and I do not have an engagement of any kind I am sure. In fact I see no reason why we should ever associate with one another at all. Christina had warned Corwin not to offend Norfolk, but she was past the point of caring what the man thought. Perhaps he was known to be vicious and vindictive. Perhaps he was known to hold a grudge and pay back slights with a heavy hand. But under no circumstances would Corwin have dinner with him. She would not allow others to think such a thing was remotely possible. This oaf had no claim on her and if she had to insult him publicly to make him stop hounding her she was going to do so. When Benjamin Chase happened to hear his sister's voice as he passed a dense pocket of lords and ladies that stood and sat along one wall of the enormous ballroom, he instinctively turned to follow it. It has been more than a week since he had seen her. She had been making the rounds as she made her debut in London. He had been readying his ship and crew for his first assignment in the New World. Having forgotten that he had Lord Black in tow, he pressed through a pair of daringly dressed damagers and a collection of girls a year or two older than Corwin in an attempt to find her. A drunk blonde in jade turned and intentionally gave him a rather close encounter with her rouged breasts when he sought to move by. She seemed pleased when he put his hands to her waist and moved her out of the way. Behind her he found his sister seated beside a silver and gold dandy who looked to be at least twice her age. Rest assured, dear lady, I will have you and your cousin in bed by dawn. The crowd around them tittered. I'm quite sure, my lord, Christina and I will be home in bed by midnight. I know for certain that we will be going home right after the ball. Corwin replied. The dandy spoke as if he hadn't heard. You and I will ride with your cousin in one carriage. The others will join us as they are able. No, my lord. Tonight you must find your amusement elsewhere. Ben spoke before Corwin could continue. He had no idea how this odd argument about how Corwin and Christina would spend the evening had come about, but clearly it was something he should put to an end. Corrie, at last. Here you are. I have been looking for you everywhere. Ben swept her a low bow that made the women around them gasp. Dressed in his naval uniform he had been told he cut quite a dashing figure. The response he had enjoyed from women this evening certainly indicated that this was so. Really? You have been trying to find me? Whatever for? Corwin asked, making no attempt to hide her surprise. Ben stared at her. Maybe this was the first time they had spoken for a week. Maybe she hadn't expected to see him at this particular ball. Still, she might have come up with something a little more helpful to say. He was rescuing her from a bore after all. Just at that moment he felt someone stir behind him and recalled that he wasn't alone. Well, any port in a storm, he found himself thinking. This is Lord Black, the Earl of Kettering. He too has lands in the West Country, 
not so far from our home. He is our new neighbor. Ben stepped to one side. Corwin thought she must be dreaming. The raven-haired man before her was at least a head taller than everyone else in the room. His shoulders were massive, tapering to narrow hips, strong thighs, and well-muscled calves. Dressed all in black, embroidered with black silk stars, he seemed a human shadow. His hands were square, strong, and scarred from what must be hard labor. His face was bronze from what must have been years in the sun. His eyes were such a dark color they seemed to be all pupil. This creature looked like some hero out of a fairy tale, a black prince fresh from the underworld. In this fanciful assembly he could not have been more out of place if he had owned three heads. And he appeared to have no interest in her at all. In fact, he appeared to be searching the crowd around them for someone else entirely. Ben continued. Lord Black. This is my sister, Lady Corwin Tyler Chase. Her lands, which came through our mother, are not so far from the estate you recently acquired. Perhaps just thirty miles as the crow flies. The Earl glanced down then, meeting Corwin's eyes. She felt her heart freeze. She heard Ben continue to speak but his words came to her as if he were a thousand miles away. A pleasure, my lady. I hope we will have many opportunities to meet in the years ahead. Black said. His eyes remained locked to hers as he gave her the slightest of bows. He made no attempt to take her hand and kiss it as so many men in London did this season. He seemed to think his nod was recognition enough. Both men waited for Corwin to speak. To her intense embarrassment she found she could not frame a single sentence. Ben, clearly amused, said. My lord, I see someone I must speak to. Would you do me the honor of attending to my sister for just a moment? She very much loves to dance. I would take her for a turn myself but I have just seen the Commodore pass by. Before Lord Black could say a word Ben had slipped away in pursuit of a possibly mythical naval officer. Corwin, eyes locked in Lord Black's regard, struggled to find something to say. Instead Lord Black spoke. Shall we dance, my lady? He offered his hand. Corwin stood up without a word. She thought she heard Norfolk make some kind of noise, and knew in a distant way he must be furious. But then he was always angry. What mattered was that this strange man had asked her to dance. As she moved past Lord Black she felt the palm of his hand find the small of her back. It remained there as he escorted her through the crowded room, the heat of it crawling up her spine and filling her head till it felt ready to fly away. When he brought them to rest beneath one of three great chandeliers that sent light sparkling throughout the room, she looked up into his bottomless eyes. As the first few notes of the next piece fell he tugged her into his arms. Then they began to dance. Black had believed himself entirely immune to the snare of virgins but this one had given him pause. There was something mystical and otherworldly in her wild green eyes, that massive wild midnight hair, and the strong lithe figure that hid beneath her gown. It would be so easy to guide her to some forgotten corner and while away a few hours with stories of the wind and sea. She was a West Country girl, simple and strong, the daring sort so pure of heart they simply knew no fear. He had stumbled across many such a one in his infinite adventures at sea, but it was hard, at this moment, not to think they had all been precursors to this one. She seemed the very best of a most desirable breed. She was nothing like the powdered feathered corrupt creatures that surrounded them. Finding her here was like finding a ruby in a pig pen. When the music faded away, she remained in his arms for just a moment too long, as if she would have danced one dance or a thousand. Whatever he deigned to suggest. Conscious that they were far from alone, 
he put a discreet distance between them. Her eyes instantly fell to the ground, a rosy embarrassment rising across her beautiful face. When she spoke, it was in a voice so low he had to bend down a little to hear it. You are a fine dancer, my lord. As are you, my lady. She looked up then, searching his eyes as if she looked for lies. At this black simply had to smile. Corwin had the curious feeling that she knew this stranger's mind. He was amused by her, found her desirable, and found her charming. She had the sense he would be gentle with her, but he was not a gentle man. He would be kind to her, but he was not a kind man. He was a man who would rule, but would rule with strength married to understanding. And this thought made her turn away. She was not a girl to be ruled by anyone. Perhaps this was the first man she had ever found actually attractive, maybe he was literally the most beautiful man she had ever seen, but that was no reason to stand here gaping. In fact, there was no reason for her to be here at all. It was time to find Ben or Christina, declare another headache, and go home to bed where Norfolk couldn't annoy her and men like Lord Black couldn't make her blush like a fool. She turned to search the dense crowd only to find Norfolk striding toward her. She could see on his face that he would demand a dance, and knew such a thing would be an obscenity after the moment she had just shared with Lord Black. The notion of having to handle that madman in her current state of mind made her head spin. She put her hand out to steady herself on the Earl of Kettering's arm. Suddenly the wine, the dance, the rich food, the heavy clothes. It was all too much. She felt her head swim, her knees weaken. She looked up in desperation at the man who towered over her. I'm going to be sick. With a quiet oath, Lord Black took her arm. He deftly moved her through the dense crowd and out one of the wide double doors that opened onto the long terrace and the dark garden. Since the weather was cool, and the ball at its height, they found themselves entirely alone. Fifteen minutes later the Earl of Kettering leaned against the wall that ran the length of the terrace and watched the girl before him pace. Why in the world had she brought him out into the chill of this early spring night? Inside she had looked truly ill but now, a scant five minutes later, she walked back and forth along the stone walk quite ably enough. Why was she peering into the ballroom windows? Who was she looking for? Or who was she afraid she would see? Well, my lady, your ploy to draw me outside has worked. Now tell me what madness you have in mind. Lord Black said sardonically. He was too old for these games and it was time this little girl knew it. Pardon my lord? said the girl. She turned to him as if startled to find him capable of intelligent speech. I beg your pardon. You see, my lord, I'm trying to avoid an idiot who simply will not leave me alone. She said politely. She drifted toward him, eyes shining in the moonlight, seeking some kind of softness or compassion he knew she wouldn't find. I think, I'm sure, he's waiting for me to come inside. And I really can't bear to face him again tonight. Now, standing just a couple of feet away, she looked back over her shoulder at the ballroom. Black felt fury wash over him. He was fairly certain the girl had never been in the company of a more dangerous man than she was at this moment, and it was about time she knew it. Without a word he grabbed her wrist. He dragged her briskly along the terrace and down a short flight of stone steps onto the lawn. He held onto her arm as he blocked her way back to the lighted walk. He cocked his head to one side. Why don't you tell me exactly what's going on? The girl stared up at him in shock. He shook her a little to bring her to her senses. I just told you that I am trying to avoid someone, sir. 
He has been making a nuisance of himself for weeks and I have had quite enough of him. So you thought you would let him see me take you outside? Devon wanted to shake her harder. Having just murdered his uncle to regain his estates, and after a decade of slavery and another of piracy, how could some ignorant girl involve him in some kind of ridiculous London scandal so easily? Who, exactly, has become a nuisance? Lord Norfolk. The girl said. You saw him beside me. He takes liberties though I've told him repeatedly to stop. I have made it quite clear I have no desire for his company. Yet he stalks me hither and thither like a dog on the hunt. Black had stopped listening. Lord Norfolk? That must be the wealthy Popinjay he had seen teasing her in the ballroom. Of course. What a fool he had been. Her innocence and embarrassment had all been an act. Well, if she had cast him as her lover, he would certainly play the part. He takes liberties. He said as he pulled her to him. He sat on the half wall and drew her between his legs. Tell me my lady does he do this? It was, Corwin reflected with amazement, everything she had ever imagined a kiss could be. His lips brushed hers, once, twice, then finally lingered. His tongue entering her mouth, exploring her as though he had an eternity to spend. And surely he does this. His free hand found the slope of her breast, caressing it through the thin fabric of her bodice. Holding her still he brushed the troublesome cloth aside and exposed both of her breasts to the moonlight. He bent his head to the untried flesh, tasted her. Corwin gasped, her back arched. Her hands came up and tapered fingers found purchase in the dark mass of his hair. Then he was kissing her again, standing as he ran his hands the length of her body, pressing her against him. When he shoved her away, she saw his sardonic eyes take in both her lust and her state of undress. I am not surprised Lord Norfolk takes liberties, my lady. You offer them in such abundance. How dare you? You bastard! said Corwin, turning scarlet as she struggled to right her clothes. She had never sworn before, but then she had never, ever, been so angry. Lord Black smiled grimly. My dear, you have no idea what a bastard I can be, he said. But you will certainly find out if anything comes of this little farce you've orchestrated. You will discover I am not a man who forgives such injuries, my lady. You can trust me to repay them in kind. Then he brushed past her, heading deeper into the moonlit garden. Lord Norfolk saw the girl sneak back into the ballroom. She entered the house through one of the side doors looking ruffled tossed and tearful. He had watched the pair exit into the garden, and unable to believe his eyes, had moved to follow them. From the darkness of the terrace he had watched Black ravish the girl, had been startled by her ardent response. He had stalked back through the open doors before the deed was done, fighting off his fierce desire to kill them both in cold blood. His fury simply knew no bounds. He had thought to romance the little vixen and she had played him for a fool. She had a lover, had already taken a man to her bed. How dare she chastise him like a schoolboy for but a single kiss? What she gave freely to another she would certainly yield up to him. And this black earl, this man from nowhere, returning from out of the blue on the very eve of his uncle's death, conveniently in place to inherit the land left behind. How dare this rogue present himself here at court? How dare he seize what didn't belong to him? Norfolk knew exactly how he would begin to punish them both. Tomorrow all of London would know the girl was no maid and her lover no gentleman. Then he would go on to make an example of the pair. Norfolk would ensure the Earl of Kettering died for daring to take what he desired. Lady Chase would find herself debased beyond all reckoning for yielding what he wanted to another. 
destroying this arrogant couple while all the world watched would provide him with no end of amusement. He would enjoy crushing them like insects beneath his feet. Pirate's Desire by Andrea Stewart, voice recording copyright 2019 by Nancy Fulton, music by Alexander Shavarev licensed from Pond 5.